Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. I'm your host, Scott Challoner, today, and I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's programme is Dr. Paul Jenkins. Uh, Paul, thank you for joining us on the programme today and pleasure having you with us. My, my pleasure. Delighted to be here. And for those unfamiliar with Dr. Paul, he's an award-winning author and leader in the field of preventative medicine. He is the founder as well of Echelon Health, the world's leading provider of medical assessments that can detect up to 95% of early disease. Um, that's, of course, a very brief outline of your organisation, Paul. But just tell us a little bit more about Echelon Health, if you will, and what it is that you do. Well, my background is I'm a consultant physician um, in practice for over 30 years now. Um, and I became more and more interested in preventative medicine you know, when I was a junior doctor and then as a consultant on the wards and seeing the devastating impact of that uh, disease on, on my patients and diseases that I knew could have been prevented by um, earlier detection. Mm. So it's it's on that basis that I then established Echelon Health, trying to you know, bring prevention into a, a wider uh, wider group. Mm. And Echelon's state of the art testing, it's capable of detecting disease up to four years before it manifests, I believe, isn't it? Which is quite impressive. Well, for a number of diseases, I mean, I think it's it's important to recognise that you need to determine what disease you are trying to detect and screen for, and then to look at what is the best tool and the means of detecting that disease at its earliest stage. Mm. Because I think we would all accept that uh, you know, prevention is better than cure. Mm. And indeed, that's, uh, you know, as a central tenant, we teach the medical students almost on their first day of, of medicine. But um, unfortunately, it often seems to be forgotten in our very busy and at times stretched NHS, uh, which is dealing with more late stage disease, just to the overwhelming nature of it. Mm. And it's a very important time, isn't it, for UK preventative care, not least because there's an ongoing trial going on for the uh, the Galeri blood test, and that's capable of detecting over 50 different types of cancer before symptoms actually appear. Um Given that that has been trialled by NHS England at the moment, what is the sort of significance of that for preventative care in this country, do you feel? Well, the Galeri test has attracted a great deal of uh, of positive publicity, and it's a very exciting um, development. Um, For those of your listeners who may not be fully aware of it, the premise of it is that uh, many cancers are now known to shed uh, into the bloodstream small, very, very small amounts of abnormal DNA. And it's with the modern, uh, vast improvements in the technology of detecting that DNA that allows you know, these uh, you know, abnormalities to be detected. So I mean, that's the sort of the underlying premise about it. And therefore, if you can do a simple blood test to screen for the DNA, you can detect um, the cancers that you want at an earlier stage. However, the big, the big caveat of this is that you know, the small and early cancers, or indeed those abnormalities that have not yet become a cancer, mm. don't really secrete this DNA. Mm. So this is what the blood test is going to have to, the, the trials are going to have to clarify, is it clinical use in a, 
the practical setting. But if one is trying the current studies that were published and which really got people excited, and if you look at uh, that, it's really only 16 to 17% of the early cancers were detected by the blood test. So most of them were uh, detecting late stage cancers where sadly, you know, you're more into disease management rather than uh, being able to cure. Mm. And that's, that's, that's a concern about this test and indeed about a lot of other screening tests is for early stage disease where you'll have the most benefit, they may not be as effective as we would wish or hope for. That's the thing, isn't it? Um, it's incredible just how far sort of science and healthcare innovation has come in recent years, but we can't treat them as magic bullets. There's still caveats to absolutely every form of test, every form of treatment and um, preventative care as well. It's got a lot of sort of catching up to do, I suppose, hasn't it, given the effects that the pandemic has had over the last 18 or 19 months, because we've seen a lot of sort of routine checkups and treatments being put on the back burner because of services redirected to deal with COVID. And a very recent study actually um, noticed that um, six out of 10 red flags for cancer are being missed by GPs in the sort of remote phone call and sort of video consultation appointments. So it just shows that it's a very, very important time for the wider field in the UK, isn't it, of preventative care? And this is something that really does need to be addressed. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I mean, all of our, the, the wider public, the medical uh, uh, fraternity, you know, we are now focusing more on prevention. Uh, we've all, probably to some extent, personally be touched by, um, you know, not that, or some directly, you know, mortality, and it focused our minds on how precious, you know, life can be and how quickly it can change. And I think many, many people, you know, the emphasis, as you say, is much more on preventive medicine now and the quality of life, uh, getting a better work life balance um, and protecting, you know, without being too, you know, trite about it, protecting our most valuable possession, which is our health. Mm. Um, so turning towards, um, prevention to, um, to that and yes, and, and better screening. I mean, I think mm. the NHS has had a, done a phenomenal job in, you know, the biggest pandemic we can remember. It's been absolutely, you know, on its knees at the, um, you know, in, in the original first and second waves. Um, and it's coped, you know, magnificently with it. And all of my colleagues, you know, on the front line, it's been a pretty tough uh, time. Um, for them. So I don't think we can, you know, give them too hard a, a time for it because what they've had to cope with and then with the vaccination program has been truly unprecedented. Um, but we are now having to play a bit of catch up because, you know, our resources and energies are being devoted now towards those diseases which aren't COVID um, related. Mm. Um, and, and so some things will have, you know, by default be missed because the cake is only so big. In all countries, this is this is not just the UK. You know, it's it's across the world. Um, mm. So it's quite it's a challenging time. It is certainly, and you mentioned, of course, mental health as well, and that's something that's been thrust under the spotlight, perhaps even more than ever before by the global pandemic. Um, when we think of mental health, just how much is that now at the forefront of preventative medicine because if we sustain good mental health it can certainly prevent all number of things happening can't it 
Yes, they can. And uh, I think the, uh, the during the lockdowns and then the uh, isolation and the you could say almost the repetitive bad news and the fear of the um, you know every day on the on the TV and the radio. You know, people have become extremely anxious. Mm. You know about it, and it has certainly um, affected uh, people you know, who otherwise <laughs> would say they're all they're pretty robust. I think all of us have felt anxious at times. Um, so, you know, I think that has been a consequent um, adverse effect on on mental well-being, uh, and, and that mm. in itself can trans- uh, translate to adverse, uh, you know, physical health as well as just mental health. It can, absolutely. And um, I suppose when you're sort of running your own business or organisation through a crisis like this, I mean, the pressure can also sort of catch up on yourself um, as well when you're in a leadership role. Um, Just how has it been within sort of Echelon Health over the last sort of 18 or 19 months, sort of managing through the pandemic? Um, What effects has it sort of had on you from a business perspective? Uh, From a business perspective, well, initially... You know, there was during the first stage of the lockdown, you know, things were much quieter, and it was people's attention were just, you know, trying to cope with this, you know, the fear of the pandemic and what it really meant um, for for them, and that's within our staff, our organisation, because you know, even even medics, you are still human and still subject to the same anxieties and, and fears for yourself, your family your loved ones as, as everybody else. Um, I think then, you know, many businesses have been engaged in almost sort of just survival mode to, um, during the actual pandemic um, and trying to secure, you know, the viability of their uh, business. But we are seeing in the last uh, few months a definite marked change in perspective of uh, companies, individuals and companies, um, as a said, you know, marked awareness of the importance of well-being of, of the employees. Mm. Um, and that's fueled just by, you know, I think, employees wanting it and this concept that, you know, you need a better, perhaps, for many people, a better work-life balance and to look after, you know, the, the employees who drive your business. Mm. And so there's been a, a very significant increase in uh, companies wishing for an effective uh, preventative health assessment program for their for their staff. Absolutely right. It is important from a leadership perspective to be looking after those around you and making sure that those preventative measures are very much in place. But it's important as well not to neglect sort of oneself as a leader also because um, I actually spoke to a leadership and well-being consultant recently about this very issue of sort of CEO and director burnout during the pandemic when you're sort of embroiled in that survival mode. So just how important is it as leaders that we also recognise that in positions of responsibility we've still got to make sure that, you know, we look after our own mental well-being and we do sort of take that time out as and when we need to. Yeah, absolutely critical. I mean, I see an awful lot of the, you know, the senior management, the chief executives, and it can be uh, a very lonely job for mm. them. They're trying to carry everything. Uh, chief executives, senior people, traditionally, maybe in the UK uh, particularly, don't like to show weakness. So they don't like to show that they're human and fallible like everybody else, and they don't always know the answers, and especially in the 
situation where no one really has known the answers. Um, so you know, it's been very, very tough for them and with the challenging economic uh, climates for them. So I think I would say it's absolutely vital that everybody uh, reevaluate their own you know, work-life balance and the, the chances to de-stress and to get away from all of the pressures and sort of safety valves and to, and to talk about it if they can with, their, you know, with other people because they can be certain they're not alone in what mm. they are thinking. And it's not a mm. sign of weakness to say these are tough times we need to do, you know, what can we do to um, help ourselves? I think you're very right. I think that idea that sort of showing vulnerability shows weakness is a very sort of dated idea, isn't it? And we're really starting to sort of see that change now. And people are realizing that even as this leader or CEO or director, I don't have to be infallible because I am going to get things wrong. Sometimes it is going to be overwhelming. And instead, it's about sort of responding to that, taking it on board and responding to setbacks as opposed to just trying to get it all right first time and trying to do everything and letting it get on top of you. Yeah, I would agree. And personally, I think it's, you know, the key of that is trying to build you know, uh, the, the team around you to set out, you know, your vision and to or all of you to establish what the vision of a of a company is, and then to build a team that has different strengths and and weaknesses within within that team, but w- that has synergy, and together you can uh, carry out that, um, that that vision. And and as you say, knowing that you're not always going to get it uh, spot on right, but you know, hopefully more times than not, um, and you can work together. Mm. Exactly right. Leaders are only as powerful as those teams working around them. We've seen no more of an example of that than in the healthcare sector where we've seen every member of staff, whatever their role, going above and beyond during this time. And we've heard some fantastic stories from the NHS, from care, from various industries of people who've gone out, they've gone above and beyond. And I suppose that really is one of the sort of shining lights to emerge from this quite tragic time, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely, and I'll reiterate the you know, enormous you know, effort that the NHS has done, and in a time of you know, unprecedented you know, stresses and strains on it, mm. um, and it is something an organisation that you know, we're all sort of proud of, but at times it's easy to sort of blame it or want this unlimitless uh, pot of facilities of healthcare, um, which isn't clearly always going to be there as it as indeed i would say it is the same situation around the world exactly right um resources are finite aren't they and it's not going to be this sort of all-encompassing all-accessible entity is it that we're going to be able to rely upon all of the time there are going to be limits there we've certainly found that out the hard way over the uh, the last year or so um and as we've said it's going to be a very important time for the nhs but also a very exciting one because you know preventative uh, medicine is now sort of back up and rolling as normal services has, have resumed uh, we've got the the Galeri trials um still ongoing so what are you sort of expecting from sort of the preventative medicine field over the course of the next 12 months then uh, dr paul um because i can imagine there are some sort of real high hopes and some real exciting advancements at the moment yes i mean i think the most exciting uh one of the most exciting areas um for sort of more something personalized preventive medicine is the ability of the modern uh technology, imaging technology to see inside the body in such incredible detail. Mm. And that's, that's many health assessments, many health screening programs still 
uh, new sort of algorithms that have been unchanged for the last 50 years. You know, and it's uh, algorithms featuring what's our cholesterol level, what's our smoking history, our weight, our physical activity. And those are very good for an overall population, but for as an individual, you know, they're pretty, pretty poor and poor specificity. And we know around 40, 50% of individuals who sadly suffer a heart attack have no traditional risk factors whatsoever. It's just a combination of the genes, your lifestyle and bad luck. Um, so the ability now of the scanners that can objectively look inside you, and for instance, the latest CT scanner can see inside your heart artery with a resolution of 0.3 of a millimeter. Well, that's a quite incredible uh, degree of accuracy that they can offer and detect you in a absolutely uh, yes or no whether you have early signs of heart disease or not. Mm. Um, so that you know can cut through all of the uh, you know possibilities and the statistical risks. The modern imaging technique, the MRI scan of your prostate, can see the very very early uh, prostate cancers well before it causes um, any symptoms. You know, um, and you know, therefore, the earlier you get it, the higher your rate of um, of cure. Um, you know, the other big cancers, the lung cancer. You know, well, you know, it's one of the biggest, fastest increasing rates of cancer. And if we, you know, and especially in non-smokers, for whatever reasons, which we could perhaps all suggest is due to air pollution. Um, but if you wait for that for lung cancer, sadly, to be uh, visible on a chest X-ray which is the traditional way of screening for it, your sort of five-year life expectancy or cure rate is around 5 to 10%. Mm-hmm. If you can detect it on a CT scanner, which can see uh, tumors as small as 2, 3 uh, millimeter, then your uh, five-year survival rate goes up to around 90%. Mm. It's a real but groundbreaker, isn't it? A real game changer. Those are the groundbreakers. It's this mm-hmm. ability of focused imaging and using the right imaging tool for the uh, disease you're looking for, that I think has been the most exciting um, development in, in medicine. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I remember the first CT scan, and my father was involved with it. And I still remember him coming home at the dining room table and telling us that today, you know, 50 years ago exactly, and today, um, you know, I saw the first CT scanner, and this is going to revolutionize medicine. Um, exactly. And he's absolutely right. And over the those ensuing 50 years, the quality of them and the ability, the speed and accuracy of them has increased exponentially. Um, and it's now a routine uh, bit of equipment, but which can be fantastically uh, useful in prevention. Mm. And it's been over 15 years now, isn't it, that the European Scanning Centre on Harley Street has been going, and that's sort of become the UK's leading independent diagnostic imaging company now. And um, Echelon Health has sort of sprung up um, a little bit later on from that to sort of complement that work. And uh, another thing as well that's quite interesting that I've noticed um, that you um, are involved with, Dr. Paul, is um, you have experience of treating patients that display post-viral fatigue syndrome, and that's got a lot in common with the um, sort of symptoms of long COVID, hasn't it? So that's also something which sort of is in the offing, isn't it? It is, because um, I, you know, my sort of professional, other than Echelon Health, I'm a consultant endocrinologist, so uh, specialised specialize in hormones. And over the years, I've had you know, many, many patients come to me, you know, with complaining of being tired, fatigue, and saying it's due to their thyroid or adrenal glands. Um, and I've worked out, you know, that, that it isn't. 
So they're completely normal. But uh, patients are still presenting with overwhelming fatigue um, and have developed certain experience expertise in the management of these patients. Um, and long COVID is you know, just another version of post-viral fatigue. Um, it's just a, a different name and has a couple of odd idiosyncrasies. But in essence, the fatigue of it and the brain fog and the uh, poor sleep um, is just the same as uh, post-viral fatigue. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, you know, it's a dev- for those people who have experienced it, it is a devastating fatigue. There's nothing like you can imagine unless you have had it. It's as though patients describe it as though someone just pulled the plug out completely and there's nothing left in the tank whatsoever. And so it's vastly different to, you know, I might suggest, well, you're just a little bit tired, you know, we're all tired, pull yourself together, you can carry on. Um, it's a different level of uh, overwhelming fatigue. Mm. Um, and it takes a lot of careful, you know, management and, you know, gradual rehabilitation. Uh, but in, you know, with appropriate advice and, and treatments, most people make a, a pretty good recovery from it. It just takes time and you can't rush it. It does. For any debilitating condition like that, it does take time to come back and it isn't something that should be rushed. But it is positive that treatments are starting to work effectively and long may that continue. And just thinking about um, sort of your organisations now, um, Echelon Health, but also the European Scanning Centre. Um, we talked about what the next sort of year or so might hold for preventative medicine as a whole. But what are some of your sort of business priorities going to be over the uh, the next year or so? And uh, what are the things going to be working closely on over this time? Well, we're certainly working on you know developing our range of the sort of health assessments to uh, you know, cope with all the demands of uh, companies. So whether it's just their senior. Uh, executives who may want a more in-depth assessment or through the different uh, levels of management and employees to offer um, a range of health assessments um, for them in a climate, as we've discussed, where people are much more open to this and indeed, you know, inquiring or recognizing the need for it. So I think that's probably the most exciting is that we are we're knocking on an open door of people who want effective health uh, assessment and health prevention for their for their staff. And this is what happens, isn't it? When you have a pandemic and people become so much more aware of their own mortality and they become a lot more health conscious as a result of that. Yeah, it, I think that's correct. And I, uh, a whole lot of things are changing, aren't they, in uh, society in the last sort of six to 12 months with the pandemic, the working from home, in touch much more with the sort of environment and environmental da- uh, damage, you know, um, and awareness, um, and it's all feeding sort of on the on, on the same theme. Um, so, you know, preventive health is one aspect of this. It is exactly, and addressing sort of the the climate situation, as you say, there that's probably another way of sort of preventative health in sort of a, a strange way, isn't it? I mean, it's like we're sort of preventing greater issues sort of coming before us, and like I say, hopefully we can all sort of take that mindset moving forward. We can be more preventative rather than sort of curative, reacting to problems as and when they arise, and almost anticipating them coming if we don't take certain courses of action, and instead just make sure that you know we're not afflicted with these issues in the first place i think everybody can certainly take a leaf out of that book i I would agree with that wholeheartedly 
And Dr. Paul, I have to say, it's been a real pleasure welcoming you onto the uh, the podcast with us this afternoon. It's been fascinating having you with us and I think actually as we start to understand more about how sort of the field of preventative medicine in the UK is developing over the next year or so I would relish the opportunity to actually welcome you back onto the program with us and just sort of talk about what's going on within Echelon Health at the time and what other exciting developments there have been within the industry at large. My pleasure and thank you for uh, having me on on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, Dr. Paul. And lastly, just before we do depart, please do take care and stay safe with everything that's still going on as well. And to, to you and all of your uh, listeners. Yeah. Absolutely. And if there are any listeners out there that may be tuning in who are a director or a business leader or even a leader within any walk of life, really, um, and you do wish to come onto the program to share your own real life story of success or of innovation, then please do visit leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply because we'd certainly love to hear from you. Um, it was a pleasure welcoming Dr. Paul Jenkins onto today's podcast. And I do hope that all of the listeners enjoyed what was a thoroughly compelling interview today. Until next time, I'll be heading back to my usual corner in the Westminster Arms to raise a glass to outstanding leadership. And hopefully over the coming weeks, as we venture into the colder months of the year, we're not going to see any sort of backwards trajectory and we'll continue enjoying the freedoms that we have been deprived of for so long over the last 18 months. But remember, even though restrictions may be gone in England for the time being, it is the time to be sensible, consider ourselves and be considerate of others, because it does make such a key difference in keeping people safe and most importantly, saving lives during this most difficult time that we've endured we are almost there now better days are ahead of us but let's just be careful about how we go about our daily business take care everyone and goodbye